Hi, everyone. Welcome to Hyperlinking Humanity with Grant and Kyla, where we are going to talk about the interplay between technology and humanity and provide some unique perspective on the current state of affairs, as well as talk about our path moving forward. Thank you for listening. Hello, Kyla. Hey, Grant. Are you ready to talk about Apple? I am. It'd be best for you to start and give us a little background about your experience and your thoughts. I was an Android user for most of my life. I got my first phone when I was 12. It's been 10 years and it was entirely Android until January of 2021 because I had to get an iPhone in order to use Clubhouse. And when I first got it, I didn't take it out of the box for three days because I was like, I don't want to touch this. (laughs) Now I'm using the iPhone. And I realized as I started using it that I needed all of these other parts of the ecosystem because it wasn't working without it. So I had to get AirPods. Then I'm now looking at getting a Mac. And then well, do I get an iPad too on top of it? What Apple does really well, they make you go into this ecosystem really deeply. Whereas Android, it's like, oh, just use whatever, right? It's no big deal. The Apple's like, you have to have these Apple specific products and then you just get more and more entrenched in the system. Another reason I got the iPhone apart from Clubhouse was because my friends were excluding me from group chats because they were like, your bubbles are green. Not a great feeling. <laughs> do, you, do you feel happy with your decision to switch? It's more so it's a cool kid badge because now when I text people who do have iPhones and I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this too, like on some dating app profiles, people will be like, we can't text if you have an Android because the green bubbles, it just reduces this barrier of knowing people and you feel like less of a burden. I have a lot of similar experiences. The best place to start is actually with the messages because I started with an Apple device way back as my had an iPod. My first laptop was actually a MacBook. I had an iPhone, but I ended up switching to Android because I liked the customization and the control much more. But in the past few years, it's been interesting to just see slowly over time. It was basically like the ultimate contrarian view for young people to not have an iPhone because the messages is such an obvious and clear distinction that you are in an out group. What Apple did with iMessage is probably one of the most brilliant product strategy designs I've, I have seen in the long run. They wanted to slowly squeeze people towards their system and make add friction for people that weren't on an iPhone. They approach this with such a maniacal manner that to the point now where the green hue that appears, if you're sending a text instead of an iMessage, they've actually changed it and figured out the most optimal irritating green tint that they can provide. So it's not only like, oh, it's green, it looks different than blue, but they've actually made it unappealing at an atomic level to try and incentivize people to just message people with iPhones. If you step back, it does a really good job of encapsulating how Apple approaches product design. And to your point, they add a lot of small little frictions where it's not necessarily a sore point, but they just slowly push you towards other devices to make you immersed in their ecosystem. It's a really brilliant business move and that's why they're the most valuable company in history. But at the same time, With the advent of the internet and mobile phones, 
a lot of people thought that this would be a really disseminating force. To your point about the apps running differently and better, there are financial reasons why developers support Apple. I also switched recently to my chagrin. I had a few reasons. iMessage was one of the main incentives and stuff like FaceTime, which is also incorporated into that. The device I had was a Pixel phone, so one of the Google devices. It was still really fluid, had an amazing camera. When it came out, it was far better than any other mobile phone's camera. When I switched over, I wasn't super enamored with iOS. I enjoy my device now, like my iPhone, and it's fine. I'm not frustrated using it, but I feel like I have to do more work to be as productive. Whereas on my other phone, I felt like it totally bent itself around to the way I wanted it to work. Computing has escaped this. Now we're contorting ourselves around mice and keyboards and now a slab of glass. But one one other question I had for you was, now that you switched, what's the biggest thing that you miss about being in the Android ecosystem? I miss, and this is just totally qualitative, but I miss just a little bit the rebel feeling that it gave me, that I wasn't a part of this Apple hierarchy and that that gives you a little bit of freedom in your mind somehow. I I miss that. I miss not feeling like I'm part of just the hamster wheel of Apple. I'm a pretty frequent uh, visitor of the mobile subreddits. So we are Apple, our Android. And it's really interesting because in the past few years, I've seen this pretty strong sentiment shift on the Android subreddit about a lot of people that profess themselves to be younger are switching over to Apple devices because of iMessage. And a lot of them frustrated, but at the end of the day, they think the iMessage thing's important. And I don't want to belabor that too much, but I do think it's a really significant thing. And it's also very US centric because if you go to other parts of the world, texting, the reason that this has happens is because right now in the US, when you send text messages, they're essentially free. But in other parts of the world, it's really expensive to send a text message, which is called an SMS. In other parts of the world, data is actually much cheaper. And in the US, you pay for your data usage. So it's inverse. That's how WhatsApp, uh, Telegram, Signal, all these other chat apps have proliferated and they all use data. That's Facebook Messenger also. When you look at the US, is a WhatsApp isn't really dominant here. Messenger is certainly popular, but texting is still the de facto solution. And a lot of older people are using iPhones. They just use the standard text app that automatically ensures that Apple has a very large user base for their messaging applications. Then 70 to 80% of teenagers in the US all have iPhones. To Apple's credit, they've slowly been lowering the price of different iPhone models, uh, not necessarily for their new models, but over time they've been offering more and more of the older versions. They're basically trying to have a a full suite of price ranges from $400 all the way up to a thousand plus. So that way they can capture most economic groups in the United States and try and get people locked into the ecosystem. It's just interesting from a psychological perspective to, to see people feel pressured to join a product because they feel like a social outcast and tying that to hardware is really unique. It also gives you an, an idea of how Apple is approaching 
the next paradigm, which is likely going to be VR and AR, where they're whenever they release the Apple glasses or their headsets, those are probably going to be multi-thousand dollar devices. But people in the ecosystem will likely get it eventually if the price uh, goes down over time. In contrast, you're looking at a company like Facebook that's their goal is to release a device that costs less than a few hundred dollars and have that become the eventual replacement for the mobile phone. It's different product ethos, but at the same time, it's worth examining more because the frustrations I have with my device, if you come from Android, the first thing that you notice is notifications are really bad. And that's something where they counteract that with badges on the actual home screen. The other thing I noticed was the keyboard is really, really bad. Like I was blown away with how bad the iOS keyboard is. And it's not to say that the Google keyboard was incredible, but on that you could change the um, long press. You could have more customization on the actual autocorrect. But that gets into Apple just not caring about yeah. what you want to customize. And I know- it is really interesting because on one hand, so many people are used to it. But on the other hand, I always viewed my phone as a tool to help me accomplish stuff. And I felt actually really productive on it. I don't feel as productive on this device. I don't know if that's how you viewed your tech, like your phone. Cause I know people view their devices differently, but for me, it just feels like there's more hoops that I have to jump through in order to get the same amount of stuff done. The last thing I'll say was there are times where I felt like I had to apologize if I was in a group chat or something. Yeah. It's silly, but. You. It's, it was like a proactive, hey guys, sorry. I really am particular about like tech. Sorry well, for the green message. <laughs> for, for me, and this is maybe something that Apple probably plays into because Americans are so opposed to not being wealthy is it's like, oh, people think that you're mm-hmm. poor if you have an Android. And for me, that was like, that's sensitive. And that's what it felt like. That green message was just this big flash of not at the same caliber, the same class as you are. And that's what they do. People you said is a screening tool. The other thing too, is the way that apps were developed for the longest time. And on some Android phones, this is still the case, but Snapchat and Instagram don't actually use the camera API. What they do is they take a screenshot of the viewfinder of your camera on Android devices. When Instagram launched the the Android app for the first time years back, people were uploading photos from Android devices and they were potato quality. That immediately set the tone. As someone who's tried to develop for iOS and Android, I have, Android isn't necessarily the easiest language and Apple did a really good job of making the resources for iOS development very approachable. But at the same time, it's just really fascinating that those small little things compounded into this holistic view. It's the culturalization. Apple is this inside group mentality. Somehow Apple has become this sense of culture, more or less. And because of that, it is startling when you're, when you have an Android, as you're an outsider, right? That raises the red flag for people subconsciously. It's just weird how we've let technology shape us and how we've let it define us. Phones are essentially our second arm, right? We're always around them. There's definitely an element of like tribal instincts for the phones. And I've seen it a lot on Reddit, Scott Galloway's. One of the interesting takeaways he had on Apple was they've successfully 
they're essentially the Ferrari of phones, but they have the volume of a Toyota. And that explains how they've done so well as a company in the past decade is because Mm -hmm. they have sold record number of smartphones while also having the highest average selling price of any smartphone OEM (laughs) provider. A lot of factors are starting to converge. While it's never reasonable to bet against Apple, they've been able to continually um, innovate and prove people wrong. I do think there are significant factors that are developing that are going to stress Apple in the long run, but I couldn't say whether or not it'll like seriously impact them from a financial standpoint, because they're also doing a good job of extracting more dollars from their existing users. There's three big paradigm shifts. One is that in the next 10 to 20 years, we're probably going to have a new device and our phones won't be necessary anymore. The likely endpoint for that is going to be some uh, brain machine interface. We're going to be interacting with computers with a different device instead of a slab of glass. The second thing that's happening is that applications are beginning to become more cross-platform. And there's languages that are proliferating that allow your apps to work on any device. You don't have to devote two different resources um, to different code bases. So that should theoretically level the playing field between the two. And you see this in China where the iPhone's staying power is much lower than in the U.S. because everyone in China, the operating system is essentially centralized around WeChat. The super apps essentially act as the new operating system. And that there are, there's room for that to happen in the U.S. The third change is that with this, with the advent of additional devices that are proliferating, you could see an avenue where more of the processing is done on cloud servers. It's streamed to devices, and that puts less of an emphasis on the actual hardware itself, and means that you can run the same applications on any device. And the best pertinent example is you can run Figma on pretty much any laptop. Um, You don't need to have the M1 MacBook to be able to run it well. Now there's certainly some qualifications to that statement, but that also is probably gonna also happen with phones as broadband and 5G gets more fleshed out. I'm pretty interested in this idea of the metaverse. And I feel like in order for that to really execute, we would have to switch away from just this surface level phone. And if you think about it, the phone is actually an ancient device. It really hasn't changed so much in terms of, oper- it's just become a small computer. So that technology is gonna become more immersive Right now, the computer has no idea what you want to do most of the time. Explain more your thoughts on like how the metaverse would change this. The way that the metaverse is this virtual physical reality. With the metaverse, you have to have these AR, VR technologies in order to really be immersed in in the ecosystem. In terms of work execution, as you, and this is probably not the best view, but essentially you would have a whiteboard of just thoughts and you can comb through it. So you can just go up to the whiteboard and be like, okay, I'm thinking about semiconductors today. And all of this information would proliferate about semiconductors. So what stocks are trading, are there shortages? How are they being used? You can just sift through that information based on what you're looking for. You can also get access to other people who are thinking about semiconductors. That way it's really this immersive experience in whatever you'd like to but this is, this goes into like 
just meeting people, like being in a, phys a virtual physical space with people. I like that framing. You're, you're essentially yeah. talking about the, right now, the way we interact with technology is in a 2D plane. Mm -hmm. And you're yeah. saying that it, this is adding that three-dimensional aspect to it where you can actually like step back and the information isn't just on a, a screen in front of you, but it's around you and you can interact right. with it. This Roblox, from what I've read, is pretty far along, and I don't, I don't know if that's Roblox. I'm pretty bullish on in order of executing on this metaverse sandbox, and the Decentraland are also moving in this direction, and they're on the blockchain. But when you look at the structure of Roblox, it's like these squared little people that wander around, but you can do so many things with your square person. So we are eventually going to become these square people, and get immersed in these digital realities. And the whiteboard is just a dream of mine. I will build my metaverse and that's the optionality that will be available to us, right? So how would you customize your phone interface would be how would you customize your corner of the metaverse? And one thing that's really interesting about it and one thing that Apple doesn't capture with the metaverse, we can build technology in order to capture the way that we think. And that is so immensely valuable. Think about all the time that you spend on your computer trying to tie together these disparate ideas and making sure that you have the common nuanced thread going between it. You have all your sources cited. The way that we could build out the metaverse in terms of analysis is everything would be available to you. And you just have to patch it together in a way that you understand. And the way that this could apply to education and, and, and schooling is phenomenal because when you have kids who don't learn the way that school is taught, which is a, a probably a large portion of kids, and you can have them immersed in this virtual physical reality where all these concepts become so much more tangible. They can see geometry being played out before them. That is going to be huge. And if we can get kids educated, this is a 150 year view, but if we can get the next generation educated at a much faster clip, a much more impactful clip than we were educated at, that's going to be huge for growth. And then that just compounds over time. Then you're leaning into a society that's built for the people that live in it. And that's what's really cool about the concept of the metaverse is it's for people. You just painted a really good picture of a lot of the stuff I've been thinking about and you did it a lot better than I would have. The education thing is a really important second order effect that I hadn't even really considered either. As you said that, the first thing I thought of was when calculus was invented, this was something that the highest minds could only understand. And now we're learning it in high school and it's elementary to a degree. Imagine all the other stuff we're learning now that's going to be in the same manner sure. and opening the door to teaching people in a more organic way. I mean, when you're a kid, you're super curious and you're constantly experimenting and exploring. And then we're telling you to sit in a room for 12 hours a day in the same seat and then regurgitate what we tell you in a few weeks and see how you do. Some people do well in those systems. Some people obviously don't. So this is a really cool way to change how we approach learning. At the end of the day, the best technology is going to make the world better. The number one way that you make the world better is by educating people. That's, it's so simple. We have flying helicopter companies like taking SPACs and, and going public at these massive valuations, but what if you could invest that into a metaverse and have kids get the education they deserve? There's plenty of capital right now in the markets. Incremental dollar to 
Tesla or to some other company is potentially a dollar that doesn't go to it. That's not to say that this metaverse won't proliferate, but a lot of the downstream impacts are going to be really interesting. To tie this back to Apple, this is probably the largest threat that they're facing because when you're talking about how these systems can be really tailored and customized to you, what I'm essentially envisioning, and this is something that I'm really keen on exploring more, is seeing an API for an operating system where you basically stitch together the perfect computer interface for yourself and it you don't really have to learn how to use it. The, the program learns how you want to operate and it learns from you and it it builds itself around you. And that goes to this brain machine interface as well. And this is a fluid thing where it could exist in a concrete physical device that you're using to interact with other computers, but it can also be something that's inside of an application. This goes back to super apps where it's possible that Epic Games or Roblox release an app that goes in the app store, or you can access it in Chrome or you know Safari, whatever browser, you can access it on any device. And inside that app, you can do whatever you want. And you can you have your avatar, you can log online, you can use that. Eventually with enough resources, bandwidth, there's a lot of technical hurdles, but you can eventually start creating an operating system inside of an application and have that be your portal into the metaverse. That's a a large way that Apple's exposed here because they've already are dealing with issues, uh, legal ramifications with their control over the iOS app store. Google also is dealing with that. I'm curious to see how it's going to pan out. But the other aspect is the physical devices that will also change how we interact with these tools. To, to, to go back quickly, you had about the going from 2D to 3D. Similarly, we only have three mediums of communicating with computers right now. We have a mouse, we have a keyboard, and then we have a touchscreen. You could argue that we have a fourth with voice, but that's really rudimentary and it's not anywhere close to where we're going in terms of actually communicating. We're basically at the point of using hieroglyphics and cave paintings to communicate with devices that are much smarter than we are. If we could develop a new language to communicate with devices, that would totally transform everything because now you don't necessarily need to teach someone how to type if the computer can understand what you're trying to say, then you unlock a whole lot of creativity and, and abilities that are, are just restricted right now because people don't know the language that well. And the language is super inefficient. That's one really powerful thing about the metaverse it is that you do have people who are trapped with their ideas and they don't know how to execute upon them. This would reduce a lot of the friction that we have for these really creative ideas. They just don't quite know how it would be executed. That if you can build, I don't even know if it would be no code, but this more intuitive platform that knows how you would want to build something. If you can draw it out on the screen and the the metaverse would say, okay, I know that you need this tool. I know that needs to be built this way. And here's how that would look. That that would, the, the growth, and I don't even, I don't want to get, stuck on the idea of growth here either because if there's more to society than just growing like there's more than just a six percent gdp number that we should be shooting for this would be a turning point and 
how we think of our existence. And it would be an amplification of the creator economy, an amplification of the ownership economy, and just an amplification of our entire society's existence. Another thing that it would really be interesting, and this is all hypotheticals, but another thing that would be really interesting is the equality aspect of it. So you don't have to go to a top-notch school in order for the metaverse to understand or for you to understand the metaverse and to have that interaction. You wouldn't be stuck by not having a network because you would have a living portfolio in this virtual shared physical reality space where other people can come and check it out. There's legal ramifications that would have to be sorted through. This is high in the sky right now, but it would do so much amazing work in helping people access opportunities and building in a direction. The question is, how do we get there, right? Apple and the App Store is that they take quite a bit of money from Roblox, money that Roblox potentially could be reinvesting back into the metaverse. It gets into the concept of incentives, right? Because at the end of the day, money is a key driver. We're seeing this in the the fun blow up with leverage. Money's a driver. And how do you make money? Apple's really good at that. They're really good at keeping money in the Apple's ecosystem. So they could be a huge pin in the bubble of a metaverse. If they're not first to execute on it, they could put the brakes on anybody else who's trying to. That's actually the argument that Tim Sweeney at Epic has, has been making in their lawsuit against Apple is that they're the, the bottleneck right now in the development of this whole other ecosystem. It's hard because there's really no counterfactual. We can't know inherently what the world would look like without the app store. And Benedict Evans has, has written a lot and shared a lot of thoughts about how the app store has been a really net positive for the world, because before that you just had malware and a lot of issues that plagued windows that was eliminated because of the app store and this gated system. You can see both sides of it. And there's definitely more nuance to this discussion, but to your point about helping people build more. One of the common refrains in like the crypto community and DeFi is all of these new tokens and companies and, and systems are essentially Lego blocks and you can build new applications with them. This is probably much further down the line because building the visual aspect to this VR metaverse system is going to be a lot more computationally intensive. And this is actually be more augmented reality because you'll be interacting with your existing environment. But you could see a way where you're building an app and you're just taking a bunch of Lego blocks. They're pieces of an application and you stack them together and you can see the application in front of you. That's something that was pretty abstract. And from a technical feasibility standpoint, it's probably a little over the top. But you could probably see some educational curriculum built around that type of thing. The other thing of is Assassin's Creed, it's a video game series created by Ubisoft. They have the past few games, they've actually released educational modes where you can run around in the worlds. They have ancient Greece, uh, ancient Egypt. They add like a walkable museum and they are able to essentially allow you to see what the world used to look like. And that's another aspect that I'm really excited about is you read about what the Civil War looked like or what World War One looked like. One issue that we run into as a society is that it's hard to contextualize 
some of that stuff. Like, okay, we learned in school that the American Revolution happened, but what does that actually mean? It's really interesting, the idea of using AR to walk kids through these lessons learned. To enumerate more on this whole AR or immersive educational content, the other challenge is every generation goes through the same lessons. And you see this in the markets periodically where people learn the same things. And now it's like, all right, well, if you have this, would you actually be able to avoid those generational things or would that still exist? What's happening with the fund, Archegos, literally the banks were like, just have leverage, my guy, like no worries. And we've literally been here so many times, you should know not to give leverage to this degree to somebody. And he was on their blacklist, the fund manager was on their blacklist. But yet we're back in this same situation where the banks knew they weren't supposed to do something like 2008, but they did it anyway. Like there's just a lot of lessons learned from history that we don't contextualize properly. And maybe this is just like a broader discussion about incentives and money. It's really important to process some of the stuff that has happened in history and why it happened and how it happened. Hyperinflation in Germany, for example. The incentives point is also important because if you could design, like you mentioned, the Apple is not aligned with these incentives to build this metaverse or help build it. But if you could theoretically reconfigure how an app store is designed or how the mobile ecosystem is designed to promote this, that would be a really positive boon for this environment. And you could argue that that's how Facebook is approaching this. They've been uh, not super outspoken. They're still keeping some aspects under wraps, but they have mentioned that they're leaning towards the Android model of the VR and AR operating systems that they're developing in-house, they purposely are doing that because they don't want to rely on Google or Facebook or excuse me, or Apple to be like the gatekeepers anymore. They're trying to do the same thing. It'll be interesting to see how that changes. They're also embracing crypto with Libra. They got renamed to DM, but that That also tells me that they are experimenting a lot and thinking through what the future of the internet looks like, not only at the level that you're interacting with devices, but also how we're interacting socially, how we're sending money, reimagining everything. And Zuckerberg likes to explain like his, when he was younger, his vision of being able to put on a headset and be in anywhere in the world and hang out with anyone they wanted. And that is a really cool aspirational vision for eliminating the boundaries of the earth, so to speak. And it's, one could argue it's a really naive view of the world, but on the other hand, directionally, that's what technology has done is it's lowered a lot of the geographic constraints around the rest of the world. It's made it so much easier to connect with people and share ideas But I I do think that there's still friction between having people find each other. There's so much that can be uncovered in terms of connecting people to the right opportunities, connecting people to builders, connecting people to developers, et cetera. And as we continue to build out technology in this people-facing way, that's going to be a really big benefit from it. But there there are bad parts of this, right? Yeah. I heard a good point on that related to 
A lot of people say tech is amoral. That's a stance I've had. But one of the founders of Control Labs, which was acquired by Facebook in 2019, this is the brain machine interface technology that I was alluding to earlier. He was alluding to the fact that actually technology leans in one direction. It's either positive or negative. And the example he gave was the nuclear bomb. That definitely trends towards the negative. On one hand, he argued that it probably helped counterbalance a lot of propensity for war. There's more nuance to be had, but his point was he had worked on Internet Explorer, and in his mind, a lot of the existing technology that we're interacting with today has slanted towards the to the negative. And he somewhat famously said that he got bored of the Internet because it was just filled with, with porn, sports, and troll internet trolls take take whatever that of you will but the the common sentiment he had was this advertising model was a really great Mm -hmm. model in terms of making money for these companies but it's not necessarily the best model for the internet and that's why he's hoping to develop something that can change how we interact with computers yeah that we have to get away from ads as a form of monetization the way that I about it is that ads make the make us the product, right? So we're not interacting with the computer because we're not meant to. We're the user, not the product, or something like that. Really interesting what Balaji's building, right? Like paying you to do these different tasks. So you're a treasure hunter of sorts. That concept is interesting. So how do you actually incentivize people in the right direction versus just getting them to buy more and more things? Like even getting into the very depths of defining GDP, like we cannot have consumer spending be 70% of GDP. I don't think that that I don't think that that's a great future to have. It's going to have to be actual output, actual R&D. And how do you measure that? I'm not sure. But the way that we think about how we monetize ourselves has to change. I go back and forth on it because for me, when I look at mobile advertising of all the small businesses that have erupted that wouldn't Mm -hmm. exist otherwise because they've been able to connect to different niches. But what if they could do it without pure advertising. The revenue model of ads is you click. And then if you get a certain number of clicks, your ad doesn't run anymore. So how, how much benefit do you think the small businesses are actually getting? I don't know. And I'm sure there are people that are studying that or have spent more time than I have. But like, I, for example, in college, I worked for a company that wouldn't exist today if it wasn't for these online advertisements. It's because they made a really niche clothing product they had a really loyal set of however many thousand people that you know bought these stretchy dress clothes and and worked for them but i agree the the actual model from like a facebook and google perspective it incentivizes certain behaviors and they also are focused on increasing engagement that's the biggest downside to the metaverse i see is there's going to be such an emphasis on increasing engagement and also the amount of content and the ways you'll interact with content is going to be so invigorating that it'll be really hard for people to unplug. And Balaji made a good point. I saw it a few weeks ago where he's basically arguing that right now are for a lot of people, their screen time eclipses the time that they're spent living in the quote unquote real world where they're, where they're looking at their laptops, their phones, their TVs, whatever it may be. Or even if you're working out on like a Peloton, you're staring at a screen instead of being outside and working out. 
So we're already at that threshold where our eyes are already looking at something that's digital almost nonstop. The problem is from an incentive standpoint, the engagement is such a key aspect to any healthy ecosystem. That's probably where I'm most excited about AR though, is if you can actually be outside and be much more physically mobile while you interact with a computer. My dream right now for this is to be able to listen to a podcast or whatever it may be, like doing some function, walking, being able to twist my wrist a certain way and actually start writing an essay or transcribing a specific part of a chapter of a podcast or a book and take all these notes while I'm walking and just being able to actually be active and have my mind race as I'm walking around thinking about things but not being hunched over at my keyboard, trying Mm -hmm. to keep all this stuff in my head. That's probably 10 plus years away, but that's what makes me really excited is you could have a Pokemon Go-esque mania, but it's way more engaging and fun and hopefully gets us to a little more of like this playful thing that you mentioned about the educational experience too. The comment that you made about Peloton was really interesting because I I ride my bike in the real world (laughs) and the number of cars who get really close to me that have a Peloton sticker on the back of them is really interesting because they don't, they've never been on the roads. So they don't understand like, okay, I need to give this biker three feet. But that's an interesting extrapolation. Okay, so we spend so much time in this metaverse. We spend so much time on our Peloton. But when it comes time to actually apply it maybe into the real world, when it comes time to get not get close to a biker, when it comes time to actually execute on an idea, is there still that element of friction there? And how do you mitigate against that? I had a teacher in high school that was talking about there's multiple ways you can learn how to ride a bike. You can read about it. You can try and use training wheels and start with like a three-wheeler or you can just get on an actual bike and try and figure it out and you'll get some cuts and bruises but that's the fastest way to figure out the actual skill we'll probably have an element of that as things get more digital because right now the bandwidth and the vibrance of the actual experience isn't going to be anywhere close to the actual thing and it won't be for a while So to that point, I definitely agree. Like the real thing, there will be a craving for that. But if you're staring at a spreadsheet, do you really need it to have this high fidelity, high refresh moment? That'll probably be a limiting factor early on too. There's still so many elements of friction that have to be worked out. One thing I I worry about is, okay, so we spend so much time in the shared physical virtual reality. And then what happens to the world around us? Do we just stop caring about the climate even less than we do now? Do we just forget about the communities that exist within the actual physical space? Those are high costs that have to be considered as we build this out. I feel like we're increasingly at this fork in the road where we're either going to become a Wally nation, we're going to shoot ourselves out into space, and we're going to have to live out in space because we destroyed Earth. We're going to get stuck on Earth because there's so much space to breathe flying around. Or we, we're going to actually be able to like optimize our existence. And I don't even know if optimize is the right word, but live in a world where it is, we do respect the earth that has given us so much, where we do respect other people, where we do respect what we're building. The metaverse is an iteration in that step, but is it the full path? I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic and we've shared the same sentiments. We will course correct as a species. I'm sure there'll be a lot of growing pains to the degree that we can minimize that. That'd be great. But the thing that I thought of when you mentioned that just now was what's going to be our earth rise moment 
with the metaverse. And for those that aren't familiar, when Apollo 8 went to the moon, they took a photo of the Earth rising up over the lunar surface. And it's basically was the equivalent of a sunrise, except on a different celestial body. And in that photo, it, it's been cited to help kickstart the green movement and having that type of a moment where everyone is wrapped with this just striking image that puts it all in perspective where there's no borders. You can only just see this small swirling little green and blue dot floating in nothing. There's probably an avenue for people to create some really exciting, vivid stories that encapsulate what we're looking at, the unique moment in our species history and being able to recognize that there's a lot of problems, but at the same time, a lot of these problems are by our own design, which means that we can also figure out ways to solve them. A lot of the stuff that we do is self-inflicted. A lot of the time it's, it's ignorance, it's misaligned incentives as well, but bullish on humanity, right? We have more information. We're able to process things quicker. We're able to understand things. That'll be another part of the pool case for uh, existence. The other thing I'll say is that if you if you look at the problems facing us now, with the technology that we have, it's a lot easier to just recognize that we're all not that different. And a lot of the problems that we're dealing with are pretty universal. And there's certainly exceptions to that. But as we see more people and interact with more people in the metaverse, more will recognize that we're all not that different. A lot of people just want the same few things. And that's a really strong way to bridge the gap where we've seen a lot of division lately. Uh, and that's a meaningful way that you can help address that. It's not an immediate remedy, but it's certainly a good start. We just have to get Apple on board with all of it. <laughs> well, there and the, to tie it all back, they're the yeah. key to this early on because right mm -hmm. now the devices that we'll be using in terms of glasses and, and building these VR and AR worlds, all of those aren't powerful enough to run on their own. They're going to be tethered to your phone. The Apple glasses are going to work much better with an Apple device. And maybe they won't even work with any other device anyways. So the, the question is, is Apple going to open up their ecosystem a little bit? Are other forces going to force them to? Is there going to be another paradigm shift where we actually can create these glasses and not have them be relying on an external piece of hardware? Yeah. You just get incentives sorted out, right? Well, thanks for chatting today, Grant. It was really fun to talk about everything from how Apple controls our brains to the metaverse and back again. So thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for chatting today, Grant. It was really fun to talk about everything from how Apple controls our brains to the metaverse and back again. So thanks for joining me. I'm bullish on, <laughs> on humanity. Thanks again. <laughs>